Welcome to Blackout at Sunrise. Today's guest is Mr. Chris Colohan. Chris has been an active member of the Toronto punk scene for over 20 years. Chris has been a vocalist in numerous bands, most notably The Swarm, Left for Dead, Cursed, and his most recent project, Burning Love. Chris also runs High Anxiety Records, a small vinyl-only label based in Toronto. He also released a book in 2014 called Negative Space. This book of photographs documents the time spent on the road during a five-week tour of the States with his band, Burning Love. A recording of a reading Chris did from his book, Negative Space, is included at the end of this podcast, and it's called Going Under. Life tends to be complicated. Two separate coffees and a bunch of pureed vegetables. So I'm ready for this. Man, I'm just, I'm just after a bunch of pureed vegetables. I have avocados, <laughs> carrots, spinach. Really? Yeah, it's, it's the way nice. to go. I got beets, kale, a bunch of kale, apples. Yeah, some bullshit and almonds. Because you're, you're vegan, man, aren't you? Yeah. How long have you been vegan? Uh, since I was about 19. About, uh, well, long time, over 20 years. Was it a tough transition? It was tougher when and where I was growing up. Um, definitely a lot easier than it used to be. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, there wasn't such good options back then. Yeah. But they're now. I can imagine even on tour and stuff, it must be quite hard to, to have yeah. that vegan diet. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And now, oh, now it's sort of the opposite extreme where there's like a wild place in every city that's like a diner you'd go to once a month if you live there but you're there like every six hours because someone's so excited that they take you there and, you know years of eating totally awful and you know getting a jar of tahini and celery for a week on tour you have to do it every time you're at that place so yeah then you just feel like garbage because you eat too much seitan and gluten every day man that looks like a, a pretty badass record collection right behind you oh that's not even the record side it's okay. a whole it's a whole wall Really? How many? It's like boat records on this. How many do you reckon you have, actually? Uh, maybe three thousand. Really? Shit. I don't know. It's not a point of pride anymore. It's a hoarder problem, man. Really? But I, yeah. I tell myself if uh, if I can get it on one wall, that I don't have a problem. So it's sort of technically inside a IKEA. We met before, actually, at um at a burning love show in London. Yeah, I so said that in the email. That's in. I think the venue was called the Grosvenor. I think in Stockwell, they had to like shove the pool table to one side to accommodate yeah. the show. Man, that was well, some fun. Yeah, that was a good show. Man, I'm gonna start by asking you about negative space, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, it's a it's kind of a really great idea for a book. I think you know the capturing the lost space of touring is probably the stuff that people who go to shows and stuff don't see. And um, I'm not a huge purchaser of photography books, but I'm a big fan of your work. So I got it and it's like it was a no brainer to buy it. But I I really love the introduction. I think the first four words kind of had me sold, you know, it's fucking obnoxious photography. (laughs) Well, it's not it's not meant to be taken seriously. I think that's kind of kind of explained. Okay, don't it's not meant to be taken overly seriously, overly critically. It's just yeah. meant to be, you know, a thing just to, to enjoy, you know. 
Yeah, for sure. So where I, did... I used to take a lot of pictures on 35 mil and I had like that story says I had a camera stolen on tour out of a car at a gas station and someone just luckily like gave me one because they just collect dust these days like a 35 mil and um, yeah I just wanted to take uh, pictures of a whole tour and all the shit that people that tour know like most of the day is just staring out a window and all the stuff in between but in the course of a few weeks and inevitably I lose a bunch of sleep on tour and everything you know the way it always gets but then you get to this point at the end of your rope and everything seems really clear. Yeah. So when the tour is like a big loop of all of like North America and that's kind of what's always pissing me off for like in the bigger picture, I'm always trying to put my thoughts together about why and exactly what the substance of that is that bothers me. Um, and so I had like nothing but time to think about it while I was doing it. So the writing is, yeah. Yeah, it's much. I was looking through the list of of cities that you appeared on that tour, man. It, it's it's just fucking endless. I was like, <laughs> oh, man. So how how long you, were you guys out on that tour? Um, I think it was only maybe like five weeks or so. Fuck. So the idea for the book, man. Did did the photography is like the chicken and the egg? Which came first? Did the photography kind of? Did the book become as, as a result of you taking a bunch of pictures or was it a case you were going to go, okay, I'm going to take a video or a photo diary of a tour, you know, which came first? I don't usually map things out that well. I thought okay. I had to like take the pictures of the whole tour and the writing kind of came in the middle of it and then they came together. Okay. I don't know. I'm not really good at planning. So like, my head is always planning things in the background and it, it kind of knows what it's doing in a way that I can't want to try to actually grasp it and think about it. I can't. <laughs> so yeah it's sort of meant to do that i guess and and even that story going under it's kind of like it's quite bleak in a sense but it's quite it's very honest and brutal and it kind of highlights the the life of um, a touring musician in a hardcore band is it something you battle with man you know the the touring life you know you have to go through like 20 hours of maybe bullshit to kind of get that half an hour of a show it's a tough life It's oh, it's a double-edged sword, you know, like I've done it for so long and I love it. And when I don't do it, I really miss it. But I think I'm kind of a dick to be around. I hate to admit it. <laughs> when you're on tour and you're in bands, you always think your, your problem is like everything else. But I think like I get stressed out. I don't sleep. Um, and I, yeah, everything just seems really dire. But at the same time, like I think it's because my head goes really fast whenever I'm out of my yanked out of my head space. You know that Baudelaire? It's so pretentious but that quote about being the most yourself everywhere else anywhere that you're not Mm. you go on tour and you're not at home and all my usual like cycle of thoughts and and environment i think going away from that and just like not really knowing where i'm going the other day always has helped me think about the things that i've been trying to think about the most so it's always a combination of it's like it's tiring to do it but i really love it because i love playing shows and meeting people and seeing my friends um, but it kind of wears you down at the same time. So it's a combo. I love it. And I don't know. I've been doing it since uh, for over 20 years and I don't know where I'd stop. What but, age were you when you started actually in a touring band? Um, probably the Swarm because Left 4 Dead never did much. And we okay. were like probably a little older than we seemed. We were in like our early 20s. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 20s and I'm 40 now. It seems to be from that, um, from going under as well, that it's almost like a, a battle with the touring life, but also maybe 
modern society in itself you know that kind of modern American lifestyle do you battle with that side of things I know, like Mer- America can lend so many opportunities in in, in the touring sense mm-hmm. but then you have to be part of that yeah. whole existence in a sense you know what I mean yeah. there have been over time some tours that are like the good idea to take this tour sort of tours and um, they're never as gratifying it, burning low almost feels like a like when an insect or an animal's dying, it just starts like <laughs> curling into its own shell. We're just like going like this the more we go on, and I love it that way. The, the last tour we did to the Canadian East Coast was like not even living rooms, but hallways and basements, and like oh, awesome. it was just really smaller spots. And I get way more out of those kinds of shows. That it feels like how we started, how I started, and yeah. I like I like that. I suppose it lends itself to the style of music as well. It's not really designed for for big, massive concert stadium venues. Sometimes it works out in bigger spots. I think anywhere that it is, if you just can connect to people, that's all that really matters. But then we're also not a band. Like I I long since gave up on the idea of trying to, it's not a job and it never was a job, but it easily takes up the time and the place of a job. So that's only where it gets stressful and you end up having to do things that, you know, you don't want to artistically, but okay you know when you say job does it does it give you much financial stability i don't want to find out about how much you get paid or anything never it just doesn't it never has i don't expect that it ever will touring for bands usually for bands like us you know what it doesn't even matter if you're big or small whether you're in a van or a bus or a basement or a big club it's sort of like the more you do the more it costs you to do Mm. and like four or five people being away from home for a month costs you that much more so usually unless you hit some really commercial like breaking point then it's just it just runs itself i'm sure uh, and I'm, i know people in bands that do well but really like once they stop it's not like there's a ton of money ever left over so yeah, yeah. maybe i'm doing it wrong <laughs> maybe you should go <laughs> on a, a, an american do. idol or a canadian idol or whatever. Yeah. that's the money shot yeah <laughs> um so yeah, yeah it seems like when I read about, say, like, curse touring and, and he, I even was talking to your Burning Love bass player, I think, at that London show. I think he's left since, but he was saying that just before that show, he had his bass stolen and stuff. And Dave, yeah. yeah. And a lot of the, the you know, the, the whole thing when curse finished, it was like that Latin European show and all your stuff had been robbed. You know, he's, uh, he, yeah. you seem to have had a, a lot of bad luck in terms of touring. Is it a commonplace thing in the States? It, you know what? City to city, it's really different. And there's some places like Montreal that are really bad. And it's especially creepy because it seems to be hardcore bands, which would mean that it's like someone within our world that knows bands are going to be in a certain place. Mm. But it goes all the way up to like the Stooges had their band, their whole like Nightliner bus driven away with in Montreal too. And Mike Watt lost his, his base. So really, it's only happened to three or four times. Okay, okay. Um, over like how many nights of my life, like a thousand or eight hundred or so, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. proportionately, it's not that bad. Cursed was pretty fucked up, <laughs> and that thing in Prague. Uh, I wrote a song, that burning love song, "Broken Glass." That's uh, on thing to say. Okay. It's kind of about that. Like we, the van got broken into and the bass got stolen, but we were actually, ironically, we were at staying at the apartment of our driver Tomas, who's one of my best friends over there. And he hated it so much because it was like, nah, again, and he tries to take care. But you can't. Like, you have to resign yourself to the fact that you're out there, you're in the world. You have to do your basic due diligence. And beyond that, and 
those things don't really matter and fucking bands are going to get broken and shit's yeah, going to get yeah. stolen. But like we have a pretty charmed life. We have friends across the world that most people, I mean, think you and me probably went to high school with or whatever grew up with, you know, our circles are really wide. We're really lucky. Um, man, I think it's oh. just my, my computer is old and shit. So it might be me. It's picking up on my vibes. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. Like technology. Sitting, <laughs> it knows I'm here. <laughs> Does it amaze you um, uh, that, you know, the impact that you've had musically, you know, like, like I told you, um, I named this whole show like after a course tune. And I think there's a, a label in Ireland as well. Kind of hell comes. Is yeah. Hell comes home. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of I presume is based on a course song as well. Did he because re he released a burning love tune? Yeah, we yeah. did that. I think Fight Amp. That yeah. He did yeah. This really ambitious series of splits. Did he finish that thing? I don't I actually don't know man I can remember I saw it on your blog maybe that that was released but um I'd meant to order it at the time but I just didn't probably have the money or whatever you know but yeah that was a really ambitious idea I think it was like 12 or so a subscription series of splits yeah yeah but yeah no um I try not to really think that much about that part of things okay okay like I think I it's it's ideas that really matter and I don't really like whenever you try to encapsulate it into uh you know, focus on a person rather than the, the thought, mm. um, you get kind of lost. And I really am like pretty self-conscious already uh, and awkward, which is weird because <laughs> playing music is so social and I'm usually in a really kind of a anxious headspace uh, and it builds up throughout the day and then all you can do is play to get rid of it. So it's kind of self self-cleaning oven, but yeah. um, I don't like being the guy from the thing at all. And okay. I, I don't know what... I don't want to try to avoid it. I just like make the things I make and I'm really glad when people can get something out of it or connect with it. Okay. You know? It's 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 kind of weird because I was thinking like Curse probably broke up in 2008, was it? You know, and there's still like um, stuff is being re-released and yeah. T-shirts are still being made. And I think yeah. I, I bought um, Curse 2 on vinyl maybe a few months ago because some guy in Germany had like... Oh, no, you bought an expensive one? No, it wasn't even that expensive. It was like, because it had on the cover, do not pay more than 13 euros. You know? Oh, yeah. The yeah, boot. yeah, yeah. So but, it's kind of mad that it, it's, it still exists so strongly, even though it's like seven years ago, you know? Yeah. Do you find that strange? It's always been like that from Left 4 Dead straight through to the present. It seems like things hit after the fact. Always, okay. always. Because I actually got into Curse on the last album, which is kind of... Yeah. yeah That's mostly, honestly, like most of our lifespan, like nine-tenths of our whole run was like... Yeah, it wasn't really until the very end uh, that it was like in real time, people were kind of on it, um, which we were having the most trouble ourselves, like internally then to keep it together. So I don't know. I, I always really... I'm really attached to the songs and things I wrote, and I really like the doing the art for stuff. Mm. So I like keeping up with... I like reissues and t-shirts and all that stuff. I just, I don't like hearing myself, <laughs> but uh, I love that, that it's still affecting people and it's still out there. Yeah. But yeah. It's interesting I, that you say about, you know, you put yourself out there, even though you kind of, it's, it, it kind of builds a little bit of anxiety. Cause even planning for this this morning, I was like quite nervous. nervous. Yeah, man. <laughs> fucking anxious. And even when I play gigs and stuff, oh. I'm always really like, brutally nervous and then you play yeah, it and you're like why the fuck am i doing this you know? dude i'm 40 years old and i've been playing events since i was like 15 
and it could be three kids in a basement, like <laughs> two thousand people in a room, and I just like, ugh, I stew in it, and then I play, and like ten seconds into playing, it's fine because I just focus on it. Yeah, it's kind of hard but, to kind of encapsulate that moment before the fact, though, you know, because you know once you start, you're gold, you know. But it's yeah. trying to even grasp that fully before going on, it's impossible. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's, man. Like I, I. I play music and I make things to forget myself. Okay. So it's kind of ironic if you have anxieties because like you're standing there being the person doing it, but like I have to connect with everyone in the room. And if you're fucking awkward, you have to just like, all right, then you're all going to be awkward. <laughs> you know? I but think it makes for a good show. It makes for yeah. a good show though. If, if, um, if, uh, if people are a little bit on the edge though, you know? Yeah. Don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Um, where was I going to go with this? Sorry. Um, take your time. I've lost my train of thought. I like it. I'm glad you're nervous and I'm not alone. <laughs> Were you nervous before? I am nervous right now. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fucking nobody, you know, in Cork in Ireland. Oh, yeah, you've got Cork roots, you were saying. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. I, last names, I don't know. Never have, met the man. But. Have, have you ever been over this? Have you ever played in Ireland, actually? No, we always go to the UK and Scotland. And I mean, you came over and people say it's a, an easy, I guess, flight. Um, I really want to. I'd really love to. I've got, I mean, uh, my last name is somebody that's not my blood. Okay. But, um, but yeah, there's that person is also Irish background, I guess, and my okay. grandparents uh yeah it was cork specifically i think where my grandparents my grandfather's family was from okay but i'd love to man i read about it i look it up it seems very airy and green and beautiful yeah man i think i think even to play like it'd be a good place to play like four shows because ireland's so small that you could just like bounce around night after night but yeah you should, you should keep it in mind man we should set something up i would love to do that man yeah, well man. how do you like it there Ireland, yeah, man, it's 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 pretty cool. I think uh, I've moved away a few times, and I went to the states for a while, and kind of came. It's kind of, it's just home, man. You know, you just miss it when you're away, and it's, it's just it's just home. It's your yeah. where your friends and family are, and it kind of makes you realize what's important in life. You know, your yeah, friends yeah. and family, geography isn't all that important. Maybe it's just, but uh, yeah, economically, it's been a bit shit in the last while. But I think that mm -hmm. seems to be a, a global trend. Did the IRA thing happen? Were they like the cease? The cease yeah. The Good Friday Agreement. Wow, I think that was signed about 15 years ago. Yeah, so it's... Did something happen in the last few years? Yeah, there's, you know what, man? I try not to get too involved into it. I don't... I'm, I'm fortunate that when you live down south, it doesn't really impact your life, you know? So no. I won't try and pretend I know an awful lot about it because... I yeah, guess, see, uh, I don't know. I know so little about it that I just generalize like it's all the same places that mostly... Where is that? Oh, it's like, it's in the north, like Belfast. Yeah. Like there's six counties that are still in the possession of England, you know? So there's a section of it that are in... is It's under UK governance, you know? But um, yeah, it seems to be a lot calmer than it was you know it's wow. some crazy shit went down there so yeah toronto do you like toronto is it a good place to i be? love it yeah i was born here i grew up about an hour away from here but i like it yeah when you live here um the frustrations like the macro moment to moment things can really piss you off when you see like it's changing like most big cities are mm. in the west i don't know about everywhere else but i mean the same sorts of uh i hate to name drop gentrification because that's so overdone but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, big money's 
changing the landscape and driving out more DIY, more interesting cultural things, and just replacing them with really interchangeable things. You probably know all my opinions about condominiums <laughs> and everything else from first songs, but it's just happening more and more. But at the same time, it's like the hub of, it's multicultural, it's got every kind of food I could want to eat and shows and movies and, you know, culture-wise, I like it, but yeah. getting to the point where I feel like I am self-employed now, so I'm at home alone a lot, and I'm getting less social. And I think that I'm heading towards some extremes between cities and not at all cities. Okay, and is art your life effectively? Is how you you know you have like high anxiety, your label, and you've got you know your touring with Burning Love and um, the the photography books and stuff. Is that is that your life, or is there more to the man? Is there do you work? Is there more to the man? Yeah. In uh, work-wise, work-wise yeah. that's a weird, I got a weird story for you. Um, <laughs> strange. No, I've, I've worked a lot of different jobs for a long time in Toronto. Most, I guess everywhere. Most people are just juggling a bunch of things. If you play music, mm. you have to get the kinds of jobs you can like go and come back to perpetually. So I worked up until a couple months ago in uh, like a cult video and bookstore here. Oh for yeah. I think I've read about that actually. And I love the place, but it's really, yeah, it's on tough times. Building is about to be turned into a condo development. Um, so I, uh, I recently left there. I work production for shows. So okay. when I'm not loading amps, I'm loading amps. And things like art and writing is really just on the side. Okay. Um, but most recently, I don't know if you heard about this shit, but this is weird. Uh, I, we travel a lot to the south in the States. Where did you live when you were in the States? San Francisco. Oh. Yeah, and I actually uh, I Googled it after I got into course. I think you'd played the Pound SF, I think, in 2005. Oh, yeah, with course, it was like with Evergreen Terrace and Bain, and I was like, shit, I missed that, man. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, I remember this, but. Well, um, we, we were touring on the South okay. and just had vegan friends there. There's a lot of old, like, vegan and straight-edge kind of people around the Carolinas that are really, like, I always, I'm an old vegan and, I guess, straight-edge guy, but I really don't identify with that as a culture very much. But I do identify with, like, the mentality where uh, where people are pretty, like, just punk and communal. I like that. And there's a lot of kids down there that are really embody that really well, I think. Um, just people that live together in houses and do really proactive stuff. So we were just on tour and we had some friends cook us really good food. And I just make weird food at home a lot. I'm MacGyver. Uh, is MacGyver Scottish or Irish? <laughs> I don't know. You know this MacGyver? Richard Dean Anderson? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I MacGyver weird foods at home. And I came home from a tour and someone had made me like greasy kind of southern collards. And I tried to basically make vegan lard out of a bunch of different shortenings and liquid smoke and I did and uh, it's something I made at home and then last year just sort of for I was stir crazy and it was winter time I made a bunch of this shit because I was making more and more of it and kind of refining this recipe but not really for any reason I took it to my friend's bakery a vegan bakery and I had never had Facebook or any of that shit until last year just for this and she stuck it online and it went like so berserk. Really? Uh, I had no idea. And I went back to her place a couple of weeks later, like, how'd it go? And she just was like, sit down, get a patent, 
start a business, really? make a ton of shit. And I did. So now, despite all the things I tried to do with my life on purpose, I stuck liquid smoke in vegetable oil. And now that's what I do in life. <laughs> <laughs> I made fake bacon grease and it took over the world. So you're making a patent? Do you have a patent for this? I do. Really? I do. And yeah, no, for real. As of Fucking last straight year. Straight up businessman. It's crazy because I don't know anything about business. Well, I didn't until a year ago or food science or like it's all these crash courses at once. But being a 40-year-old dude that has done nothing but work jobs in video stores, uh, gone to school and played in punk bands, something like that falling into my lap at the age of 40, I'm like, yeah, I'd be pretty dumb not to do the fuck out of that. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely it kind of blew up over the course of a year and I make it in like a factory scale now. Really? Distributed across North America. Yeah. And actually today, that's why I was late getting on this today. I made a, there's like a ch chocolate bar flavored with it. Really? Uh, it just led to like mad science. So I'm just going to keep making ridiculous bullshit now like that. Because <laughs> it's working. <laughs> Man, that's so awesome though. Fucking so now that's what I do for a job. Really? I quit that's... actual day jobs. That's awesome. What's it called then? What's the name of the project? This is so corny, but I didn't, it went so fast, I didn't have time to make a better name. So I was just calling it Magic Vegan Bacon Grease when it was made on my stovetop. Okay. And now that's what it's called Magic Vegan Bacon Grease. It's weird. I'm <laughs> fucking man. If it works. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you can overthink a name and then it just, you know, it just becomes a name, you know? Yeah, it's it like pisses off uh, carnivores a bunch because they're like that's gross, and it pisses off really uptight vegans too because it says that. So I'm glad, just like with music, I'm like, oh good, I can piss both sides. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're here to do, just fuck with yeah, people. Yeah, cool. Much. When did high anxiety come about, Chris? When did you set up the label? It was a Living Darkness record, a friend's band, maybe like 2006 or seven. Okay. Um. Yeah, I actually got um, purity control actually from. Yeah, is it no idea you shipped through no idea? Yeah, yeah, I had a pretty good setup. The label is really just like something I always kind of wanted to do. Okay. Having done you know like zines and shows like over the course of life, like I, I never had put out records and had so many people that put a lot into my band's records. So that was just something I wanted to say I did, and um, I did maybe like the 11th or 12th thing just this about a month ago, a local band. Okay. Uh, I wanted to do mostly like younger Toronto bands. Um, I got, I, I did a couple things like that compilation city limits. Okay. That LP. Um, yeah, that was it. And I had a situation with no idea where I've known them for a long time. Cause we did swarm and left dead stuff where I pretty much just had to like do it and they distribute it. Nice. Nice. Yeah, and the, the the purpose behind the label is it is it kind of um, I, I suppose in a sense do you find that you've seen so much and been through so toured so much and just been in so many bands that you can f you find that you can maybe mentor young bands a little bit or is is there uh, I think I just want to use if there's people paying attention to the shit that I do help steer that towards other young bands you know. Okay. And, and bands from around here that don't get out so much. Okay. You know, like, it's kind of become so easy, in a sense, to record bands and, you know, record your own music and just stick it up online on Bandcamp and, Bandcamp and not kind of go through a label. Is 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 it still a viable thing to sign to a label? Uh, I guess it depends what you're, like, in 
tensions are with your band. I think it's good. Um, like there's a lot of things I resent about modern times and the digital age. Like it's made some things very impersonal. It's definitely made a situation within um, cultures, like within ours and hardcore, where you can very much like dial in instantaneously the things that you used to have to really like find yourself and bands you liked and things that you liked and you can sort of punch in your coordinates to be perfectly tasteful in like a moment so there's like an influx or a constant stream of bands like every few months that are like a really specific thing and I, I find that makes things a little unnatural okay. um, but on the flip side of that I do think it's good that people don't need labels so much anymore it's like harder to censor information and Bands can pretty much, yeah, bands on like a DIY and small level can stick something up, charge $3 for it. And I think a lot of people probably do pay that when it's through like a band camp because you know it's going right to a band yeah. um, versus all the fucking the laws and the people that are trying to crack down about piracy. And they only ever fucking represented the middleman. And that's who's complaining about losing money. It's the fucking Lars Ulriches that are all millionaires. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you can put something up and I can straight up give them like, five dollars online for an ep that goes right to them yeah. I, I like that part yeah. i'm a vinyl nerd so i like records and i've mm -hmm. never done something from left for dead on that wasn't for vinyl um and there was big stretches i guess in between vinyl dying and vinyl coming back that you really had to twist some labels arms to, to do records but i'm glad as a nerd i like that there's records out there now but it's a bit of a reconstituted culture and i think the fun of digging to find old shit uh is a little bit different now because the things i'm after really aren't just hanging out anymore like they used to be but i think that'll come and go in waves okay yeah yeah that was 10 answers in one so <laughs> <laughs> i'll need at least four more <laughs> i kind of laugh sometimes because I, I get annoyed it's kind of silly like you know if i buy a vinyl and the download code isn't in there and I'm like ah oh, there's no download code and I'm like fuck I, I have this you know what more do I need you know but it, I, do, I do both man I, like I download stuff so it's portable or when I'm in my car or go on tour and I have records in a lot of fucking packs and formats that I don't need to don't need to hoard so I don't ever feel bad you go see a band you go see their show and you buy their shit yeah you know you're interacting with it and yeah I read recently that you got um, a Leonard Cohen tattoo. Is that right? I did. Boom. Uh, what do we got? My friend Alexandra Snellgrove, who is a, she was an illustrator. Now she's a tattooist. She did like a stick poke okay. portrait from, uh, from the inside of that old record. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to wait until he died. <laughs> There's probably a lot of Johnny Cash tattoos out there at the moment. Yeah, I might do the same. I'm more like sad old dudes. Like I'd probably get a a Harry Dean Stanton at some point. Okay. Or something. Do you re theme. do you relate to that those older type of musicians? <sighs> Maybe my like growing up sort of family situation, but I have this weird uh, tenderness for like sad kind of busted older dudes that have like accidental <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> also, Leonard Cohen's got pretty intentional wisdom. Um, I like it. But you know what I mean? Like Harry yeah. Dean Stanton. That's my, that's my shit right there. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, I read, um, <laughs> thinking about the, the how your body has suffered through the years for the sake <laughs> of your art, your hearing is... is fucked. Is it yeah. fucked, dude, is it? Yeah. yeah. How bad? Like? <laughs> um, it's, I've had it tested. It's funny. They're like, put 
these things on you and you're supposed to hit a button when you hear the beeps. So <laughs> starting, <laughs> um, I'm not complaining. I would do it all again. It was worth it. I have to turn things up a little louder. It's more like mental dimensional. Like if I'm in a room, which is probably why I get bugged out at shows too. Like I'm trying to talk to somebody, my brain can't really focus because like everything is flattened to one level. So if there's like music in the background, chatter of like just a room and then someone talking to me it's all like one oh, thing yeah, yeah. squelched so I'm together like, yeah i'm lip reading a lot <laughs> you're <laughs> that old guy no <laughs> yeah kind of i try to be subtle and i'm not great at it but i think it's someone's mouth if we're at a club it must be hard for sound check on even just hearing shit on stage now yeah was there a time where you didn't protect your ears at all or was it just like oh just... i never have i never have you've never have plugged like... up no, I can't. I got the musician ones too, but I think because of what I lost, you lose a bunch of like the high end first. Yeah, yeah. And I just have to hear things really well when I'm playing. Mm. Um, so no, I didn't it, for years. Like I knew, especially cursed, we had some like really being like three feet away from that setup was there was some crazy loud, yeah, like motorhead capacity <laughs> volumes. What about, what about your vocals? A friend of mine was asked me. He was like, "Ask Chris about his voice." Um, how did a vocal, because I, I dabble in screaming a little bit and sometimes you get that blood on He's, the back of your throat and you're like, fuck, from not warming up and stuff. How do you yeah. look after your voice, you know, when you go on tour for such a long time? Is there any way, is it just, you just go I, for it and come back fucked? Yeah, I just have to, yeah, I just basically wreck it and then it sort of scars up and then it's okay for like a bunch of time. Or sometimes I lose it and then it's really stressful because you have like, three more weeks of a tour and you got no voice. So you just like push, push through it and you bleed through your throat. I've never had a really good system. Uh, I tried to do like warm ups in the last couple of years and I got with that. And that actually does help a bit mm. if you do it through the day. But I, um, I just see my friends or I get in these heated like conversations with people. And then I, I talk when you, that's what you're not supposed to do. Okay. Just, you know, you're supposed to like shut up and I never shut up. A friend so. of mine claims seal kiss from a rose is the way to go. If you sing, sing. <laughs> sing Kiss from a Rose. <laughs> I'm going to try that, actually. I think so, I'll do ELO. <laughs> <laughs> nice. When did, um, so Burning Lover on Death Wish, no? Yeah. Um, We're still on Southern Lord. They just, Death Wish okay. did the newest 7-inch. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, Southern Lord was cool with us doing some 7-inches on the side because we're still doing the LPs with them. Okay, okay. And is there any plans to go on a Burning Love tour soon? Are you doing <laughs> Sled, Sled Island this year or? No, but no. Sled Island is great. Did you go to it? No, but a no. friend of mine actually works on it. And I remember she, I think the first time she was working, it was the year of the floods in Calgary. So it was, mm -hmm. you were supposed Tell to play that year, weren't you? We did play it. Tell her she's awesome because that's fast and those people are so good. Yeah, there was like a really, like a historically crazy downpour. Yeah. And the swans were playing. And I think that's what made it happen. <laughs> really, my Jazeera? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, it washed like we had to go. We were playing um, not the Arctic. We were playing like basically Alaska, almost, almost whatever you call that up there. Okay. Um, yeah, north. we played one of the funnest shows, and we we got to play the show the next night. The whole downtown was flooded and blocked off. Uh, we just made it out. We had to drive like eight hours around. We had to go really far out of our way and drive two days straight to catch a plane to go up north okay. to play. But Sled Island is awesome. We uh, No, I'd love to do it again. But Burning Love, we had, just like Cursed, we uh, 
we're giving the world more burning love than it was asking for for a long time you know <laughs> and now it's at the point where everyone's like what's up with burning love and like we have a van forever and it just became like a monthly bill yeah. and you know a lot of stuff like that us visas to, to do the official shit which i have so many years of like bullshit at the border and now with my business i, I have to cross a lot okay. so we had to go the official route and get visas but they um they lapsed because they're expensive and we just sort of let them the last time because we didn't have anything planned okay. so we got to really pick our battles now uh we're going to play a bunch of shows with cancer bats okay. uh next month basically as a release for the seven inches oh, nice. shoot yeah so we're, we're going to write a third LP this year. And we're going to, I'm not sure we're going to tour as much as before. Mm. Uh, we'll be able to come, like we would go to the UK or something we could do for like a week that we don't have to drive ourselves. Yeah. It is probably easier than us touring like we used to okay. up here. Yeah, cool. Well, hopefully if you get back to the UK, you might dip in, dip your toe into Ireland let's, for, for let's a date it. or two. Yeah, man. There and stay there. Hook yeah. it up, hook it up. <laughs> Before I let you go, Chris, I know you're busy, so um, if I just wanted to ask you, you seem to have, owning 3,000 records, that's quite a lot of musical knowledge. If you could recommend three records out of your entire collection. Oh, damn. To fucking... Right. What do I got? Um, I'll grab the first three I got. Okay. All right. Uh, I got New D'Angelo. All right. Actually... Here's what's in the top of my stack. Nice. A glimpse into Chris Collins listening. Hey, yeah. yeah. Gun. Okay, nice. Uh, they had a hit called Race with the Devil, just like really good. I like really, you know, like uh, finding the good hidden secret things in old classic rock and like early heavy rock. Nice. There's hints of that in Burning Love, actually. Yeah. yeah. Captain Beyond. You know Captain Beyond? No, never heard. Find this record, man. Really? You know, you know, Rain and Blood. How you listen to it and you just have to listen to the whole thing like it's one song. This is the one to be uh, Captain Beyond, self-titled. Captain you don't want to go too much further. And another one, a record that Ian Gillen produced. Uh, oh, I'm so glad they did a reissue because it's like a $400 record. I was about to buy. Oh shit. Jerusalem. Do you oh. know this thing? Yeah. Well, I know of the band, but. It's what? awesome. There's also this weird religious Jerusalem, but this is this one from seventy one two. Are you gonna say? No, sorry. Uh, that, uh, there's that's a different Jerusalem, is it? Yeah, this okay. is this is the only LP this band has. Okay. Ian Gillen made this. Um, it's awesome. It's like the fucking missing link between like Sabbath and Zeppelin. <laughs> nice. And Captain Beyond is like the missing link between Pentagram and Earth, Wind, and Fire for Saint. <laughs> And what a combo <laughs> or or fucked up dub records on the flip side nice or sexy ass d'angelo <laughs> yeah. i actually uh i was reading your blog a few weeks ago and i i, I actually born uh born wrong I, I ordered some of their stuff actually are they a canadian yeah. band they are they're from hamilton where i grew up okay. i did the art for that oh did you how... yeah, yeah, hold yeah man they sound badass so and they're watching to fucking watch, man. They're really? Crazy. Yeah, I watched yeah. some of their videos on YouTube, but I'm waiting on. Um, I just ordered two or maybe three of their seven inches, but generally it takes a while to get to to old era <laughs> to fly across what? the fucking ocean. <laughs> Chris, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate you're really busy and stuff. So um, it's okay. been it's, it's been great to catch up with you, and hopefully we'll see you in Ireland soon. Maybe maybe so. we we'll play some shows together. It'll be cool. 
That would be great. What What do you you play guitar, right? I play guitar. Yeah, I play in a band at the moment called Horse. We're playing our first show tomorrow night with. Uh, we got a new vocalist and a new bass player in, so yeah, should be fun. Check it out, Horse. Cool. Giddy Sounds, up. Is it sludge? I don't know what you call it, man. It's just fucking, I suppose, loud and aggressive and noisy and, you know. Awesome. Yeah, so I kind of awesome. like, I like Send those like one word title things, you know. It totally. kind of works. Yeah. Do you know Todd? T A D? T O D D. Oh, no. No, never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> I got more. Sorry, there is a record people need to find a bunch. Oh, God damn. This shelf is too much. All right. Can you swing your camera around to the other wall? It's just like... stationary. Oh, okay, cool, cool. But it's basically like more than that, but of records. Nice. This band, Todd. Okay. This record's called Purity Pledge. Southern put it out. It's from 2000 and maybe five or 2004. Okay. This guy. You want to check that shit out. Really? Yeah. What kind of stuff is it? It's just like oddball fuzzed out aggro like i am a dude that doesn't drink but i tend to gravitate towards and maybe make music that people always say and wants them to make them fist fight and be drunk <laughs> which i take as a compliment this is totally <laughs> the epitome of that vibe just uh i don't know it's really fun did you actually did you ever drink or have you been straight edge awesome at it yeah yeah i did growing up yeah yeah i stopped drinking as well actually i haven't drank in probably 13 14 years yeah it gets old pretty quick yeah, man. Like I drank a lot growing up, and I did it. See now, I'm see, I'm rambling on. No, <laughs> ramble on. <laughs> We're not done here, man. <laughs> no, I, I drank growing up, and it was like to sort of uh, offset, you know, like being mad at, at life. And if I did it as an adult, it would never fucking stop because it just I'm really like hot and cold, and I don't have any good sense of moderation. So it's like easier for me just to like categorically never do something again than to kind of do it a bit. Okay. So I didn't like the prospect of going to like a liquor store or bringing a bottle of booze to my own kitchen table at my apartment. Like that seems so fucking depressing to me. Yeah, man. Totally. Um, yeah, my memories of drinking. being drunk are teenaged and they're fun, but I, I don't know. I'd rather spend on money on records and tour and life. Live, live clean. Make yeah. vegan baking goods. <sighs> I know it sounds weird. <laughs> I, think I think it's brilliant, man. It's just kind of shows how fucking crazy life can be though. You know, it just yeah, throws you curveballs. Yeah, just shit is so fucking random. You yeah. have to just laugh at it sometimes. Good things happen to good people, Chris. Hey, take I it hear as that. it comes. I'll tell you if anything ever happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks, man. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully, see you over this neck of the woods. I hope so too. If we're able to come, burning love to the UK, we'll we'll try to hook up some Ireland. Is it yeah. Ryanair kind of those? Ryanair, yes, yeah, the budget airline. You should, I think if you book in advance, it's. It, you probably it's probably cheaper to fly from Ireland to England than get a train from like Cork to Dublin or something. So it's really cheap. But yeah, man, I, I, fucking, I have a van, so we could just you wouldn't have yeah. to bring gear or anything. So just show up and play shows, you know. Let's call it a date. Yeah, <laughs> a Let's man, a man rock date. Man date. I it's respect been... your man date. <laughs> I look forward to it. bring All the right. candles. Good to talk to you, man. You too. Take care, Take Chris. Care. All right, you too. I'm gonna. Oh, on Skype. How do you on Skype? <laughs> Hit the red button. The oh, big okay. red button. <laughs> All right, man. Peace. Take care. Be good. See you. Take it easy. Bye bye. All right. Uh, this is called Going Under. It is 
a nice enough hotel on paper, but the niceness of a hotel, any hotel anywhere, is only a measure of the success of the illusion that it provides. Sustained by a rigid devotion to uniformity, the illusion thereby offers someone who's out of their usual environment a reliably standardized experience, when in fact they're nowhere near home and have every reason to feel alien and out of place. For a standard rate, they can buy their way out of that alienation and into a synthetic familiarity for hours or days or even weeks and months at a time. And somewhere inside all that sameness, the same forced air, same vaguely bleached smell in rooms, and same mattresses which untold thousands of feet and asses and armpits have sweated into, disinfected to varying degrees of success and for a myriad of unsubtle reasons not visible to the naked eye, lies the nice. If you don't look too closely at the real estate props tastefully populating the foyer walls and tables, the hastily applied overlapping wallpaper in the hallways, or the clusters of dust that escape the requisite housekeeping in all the cracks and corners, it offers a sleight of hand that does the trick for most weird travelers. Fatigue kills, the billboards say, and they're right in theory. But more commonly, that which doesn't kill you just makes everything very surreal. After the first four or five days away from home, you lose track of what time or day it is because your routine doesn't require you to know anything but your next ETA and how early you have to set out from one place to make it to the next. A few thousand miles more and you've stopped trying to keep track of where you are at all. The local flora, such as the Spanish moss in the southeast or cacti in the southwest, provides the reminder that you're somewhere far from home. Beyond that, the particulars become immaterial. As for arrival itself, typically it goes like this. Like many other days, you've been moving so long and so far compared to the small concentric circles of your home life that you've been hypnotized for hours already by fatigue and repetition. The scenery, be it mountain, city, or desert, having gone from novel to interchangeable to mesmerizing hundreds of miles ago. You try in vain to hide out from the sun, shifting your body as it crawls over you from east to west through the day. You pull off for cold drinks that are negated within seconds back inside. You stare perpetually ahead and strain to keep your eyes open and stay on your side of the white line. And so when it finally happens, you never really notice the scene where the road ends and the driveway begins. You simply arrive, rarely taking much stock of the neighborhood you're in. With only escape in mind, you turn off a forgettable road into a forgettable parking lot, out of the sun, and into any cold dark room that is not a car. You close the curtains, turn up the AC, pretend it's still the night you just drove through and not afternoon of the next day, and fall into a bed, maybe but usually not remembering to check in for signs of insect life. Finally, it seems, you're relieved of all vigilance, and you let go. On this day, though, like many other days, the great letting go only lasts for about 90 minutes before gravity catches up, and I'm forced to concede that I'm just lying there in the dark. That the brain is not going to give the body what it needs today, but instead, like many other days, taunt and push it even further on empty and beyond. We've been through this tug of war for years now, and have long since given up as mediator. The brain and the body are a vindictive old codependent couple locked into mutually assured destruction. A passive-aggressive murder-suicide pact over some petty insult that neither of them could probably even remember. Over time, living inside such a cold war wreaks havoc on one's sense of reality. A narrative distinction such as you and me, day and night, real and perceived, past and present, up and down, slide into each other's boundaries, become faceless and interchangeable. But I'm through playing peacemakers in the mall, so these days I just get up and find something to do with the time. Remembering the smell of chlorine in the elevator, I pull shirt and shoes on in the dark and slide jealously out of the room past everyone else sleeping like the dead. 
The room key declares this a Crown Plaza. The same kind of hotel we were robbed blind at in West Philadelphia early one morning when the illusion gave out and failed to protect us from the reality of our surroundings. But we don't talk about that anymore. It's bad luck. Out here we're vulnerable to the elements and we knock on wood a lot. So let's pretend for a few hours, since it's what we're paying for, that this pseudo-destination is something safe and familiar. The cynic in me says, Jesus, an illusion constructed in the middle of the desert, what could possibly be more American? And the insomniac says, please, can we just fucking let it do its dance? It is early afternoon at the hotel pool. The players are myself and a family, consisting at the moment of a mother, a baby, and a young girl. The mother and baby are really not entities, and only the baby is innocent of that. The real protagonist is the other one, a fat little white girl in a pink swimsuit, utterly forgettable, who is a step away from being completely unattended. She wears the eager, uncertain face of a child who's been habitually instructed to have fun and settle down on cue. And she has decided that to hell with them all, she will have fun. But goddamn, is she a bad swimmer, and she knows it. The pool itself is equal parts liability and mirage. A small technicality of water that sticks to you like oil, as helpless as the broken down cars left a rose beneath that same ancient, patient, and malevolent sun, even now boring its way through the fiberglass skylights. It is the kind of hotel pool that local families and friends of staff barter their way into on hot days with all their kids in tow, and I don't blame them for a minute, but the water is saline and not in the good all Mountain Dew piss and Burger King sweat and a little gristle on the bottom that the filter long ago gave up trying to be all that thorough about. Not nearly chlorinated enough to kill the little microbes of American waste, the acceptable parts per million that pile up out of sight and out of mind. But I'm in no position to argue. Mother is otherwise occupied. She sits with her back to the pool in a chair, in a chair as absent from the present as a mother could be. Looking down into the glare of a phone and typing messages with her thumbs, which will pass thousands of times farther through space than the twelve or so feet between her chair and her failing, flailing daughter. From the deep end, the girl smiles at me with a mixture of sweetness and survivalism, because the whole pool is way over her head on either end, and I'm really the only other person in the room. For a good twenty minutes now, she's been going through a cycle. Going down, coming up, gasping and thrashing, serious for a panicked moment. Then finding her way to a side to hold on to, and smiling apologetically like a scolded child whose needs have been treated like a chronic nuisance. A smile only to reassure the adults present that sorry, sorry, false alarm, it's nothing they need to stop what they're doing for. So there's her, and there's me, who if you speak Texan has suddenly gone from neutral member of the general public to half-naked tattooed creep paying more than neutral attention to someone's little girl in the public pool. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> Some of this is supposed to be funny. A Seymour glass waiting to be found out and kicked to death. Maybe I've just been in the Southwest for too many days, but this place teaches you to think of the same aggressive paranoia as it does. The Lone Star state of mind can turn on you in a second and is proud of it. You learn even when passing through to think in terms of plausible deniability. So like her, I just keep pretending to swim. Mom, a few times, the baby saying the same in lesser form of words. Please, anything, just anything. Just a look, a basic minimum of territorialism, please. Gasping, she goes under for the longest moment yet and then surfaces from the chin up like Goya's drowning dog that the viewer alone can guiltily watch but do nothing to save. Really, that dog has already been dead for hundreds of years. This is happening in real time and it's no more optimistic. Randomly, and minutes late, 
Some delayed responses elicited from mom. Three syllables. Ha ha what? Without looking up from the glare of her phone. As if she were on top of it. But the girl knew, and the baby knew, and the life preserver collecting dust on the far wall knew that she was not on top of it. Not at all. And that she might as well be in whatever all-consuming place was on the other end of that two-by-two-inch screen. Knew full well that in a pinch, her phone did not in attendance would not be enough. The girl will need more than that. The baby will need more than that. And I suspect and hope that all other aspects of life might someday require more than that again. Presently, the girl attempts a dive beyond her means, tangles herself up clumsily in the aluminum rails, and goes flopping painfully into the deep end. And once again, she comes up in chaos, trying to smile. The vague awareness of commotion elicits another basic, what honey, ha ha, from mom. Like an abbreviation that someone might type into a phone with their thumbs. Really just a noise from the mouth sent out indiscriminately in the direction of the child, left to bounce around the room and hopefully find its target. It rings out and is immediately forgotten. You know, miss, your child is drowning. If you'll just turn your chair or head by 30 or 35 degrees, the phrase, not if your life depended on it, comes to mind, followed by the runner-up, not for all the oil in Texas. More slipping on the wet floor and clumsy jumps against the rules into the salty, loveless water. Are you watching, she says to me. I look to the back of the mother's head, look back and nod, yes. The baby, appropriately, has begun crying in protest. And here a maternal thing very nearly happens, but only to stop the noise and the distraction, only in the service of continued absenteeism. Mom gets up and starts pushing the stroller ahead of her and laps her on the pool to placate the child. <laughs> still on the phone and still not even looking at the girl. Presumably her girl. Presumably her bloodline in the future. Who will one day be implicating her with token minimalist visits to a senior's home if they still have this by then. I've been staring at the ass end of America for a lot of my life. From the dual vantage points of living just outside it and spending so many such months as this within it. And I've come to separate my love of some great people and places from the official phenomenon. The two share no relation. So my friends will know not to take personal offense when I say that this place, and I mean this whole place, has its own special kind of poverty. <coughs> In terms of consumption, this is the top of the heap. No contest. There's a lot of stuff to be had. But quantities are not qualities. In the wild, they say priorities for survival are shelter, water, food, and fire. Here a child is fed, but not real food. Stuffed mindlessly with various deep-fried, salted, sugared, and otherwise denatured solutions that trick the mind into a momentary satisfaction. They are put up in a cheaply built house and then abandoned to the care of various devices until which the time their body allows them to return the favor and spit out of another taxpayer. So there goes food and shelter. As for the water, it is strong-armed out of countries such as mine, along with the rest of the natural resources, the mindful preservation of which is heresy to everything that defines the American way. It is then made into a local product, filled with chemicals and sold off to slowly undermine the bodies of the very people that it pretends to be keeping alive. Fire might be, be the only one of the four, but still is what it seems to be, and it has my undying respect. She splashes water in my mouth. It tastes like chlorinated spit. Gains are privatized, losses socialized, and spiritual starvation runs concurrent to cartoonish material excess. Things made to serve purposes rot in huge piles for lack of being used once they are attained, conquered, and forgotten. They make TV shows about it that people watch and laugh at on TVs that will be landfill next year when the new ones come out. With even the trickle-down excess to live off at the bottom, 
I'd be curious to know the last time someone in America starved to death in the classic third world sense. Speaking of which, the old parental adage still applies. Someone somewhere would kill for all this. Some stereotype of lesser fortune. Not China anymore. Is that still a thing? It's doing a lot better now. As far as Texas knows, it's preparing to invade. Maybe Africa. Let's go back to that. Or Ethiopia. Or anywhere the child can safely never know anything about, which these days is anywhere else. Point being, what mother anywhere else in time and space wouldn't be guarding this precious thing with her own life out of instinct alone? I have long ago been fixed so as to never have children, and even I can tell you that. No, there is a second way of life being subliminally protected here, and this is it with a cane and a top hat doing a private dance just for me and my last remaining doubts. It smiles menacingly, winks at me, and says, "Proven." If she doesn't drown in here, she'll be drowning out there, going under and coming barely up just the same. Diabetes, maybe soon, if not already underway. A hardening of the arteries and weakening of the attention span. But these are first-world problems, socially sanctioned styles of neglect. She will not be eaten alive by a lion, nor riddled with bullets, nor kidnapped for ransom today. But neither will she get what she needs. All realities are accountable to their own internal ironies, and the severity of one doesn't cancel out the poverty of another. Here, in the heart of the bubble, where someone has erased all signs of destruction. It takes survival so for granted that they have it all and can't be fucked to even look up. Steered by a script towards what's easiest by default, and from there the bar steadily, automatically drops until any challenge to maximum convenience is a national insult worthy of full-scale retaliation. Information, though abundant, is ever more irrelevant and bothersome. Unwarranted opinions are met with violence, and the ones at the bottom defend the ones at the top. The very people who make a living safely insulting their intelligence. As if the loyalty were somehow mutual. They invest in the hyperboles of the men who put the CNN and the truck stop TVs and the Mountain Dew in the huge dispensers. Who print off those selectively political bumper stickers that make sense for only as long as you can steadfastly refuse the bigger picture, which on average here is a whole lifetime. The alleged bigger picture, with its irksome statistics and incriminations of life in this hallowed vacuum. That propaganda, as any self-respecting patriot can tell you, is for communists. Or terrorists, or whatever they are calling the realists this year. As we drove 17 hours from Phoenix through this desert on this, the 16th of 28 momentary destinations, we were stopped several times at interstates 10 and 20, as we always are, by men with guns and dogs checking all cars, authorized to search, detain, lock up, or even kill people if that's what it takes. Patrolling the perimeter of a stolen continent turned pyramid scheme to keep people not in but out. Can you beat that? Pay good money to make a production of ensuring no one gets in and takes those hypothetical jobs that the slobs who complain about losing would surely not last a day of their life doing in this heat. I fear, good Christians, that you are missing the point. The water gleams off the puddles that pool on the dirty tiles. The highway is lined with predatory guilt trips and moral solicitations, carefully crafted and forced into your line of view. It's a child, not a choice, that billboard screams down at you. How they love their billboards! Those enthusiasts of less fortunate people's limited options. Regardless of the self-serving places their own orgasms have landed, or the skeletons in their closets that drive them so emphatically to these hollow, fake wood pulpits. But hey, who's on trial here? Anyone else? The best defense is a good offense. So let's keep it anonymous, but steadily accusatory. Yeah, yeah. I saw all your giant signs, even when I tried not to. 
sandwiched in between the ones for fireworks and jive-out booths, and directly in league with them both. And I get it, the towering and the cowering. A billboard is made to seem like the epitome of a place, a sign driven into the very ground for all passing through to see, for outsiders with outside ideas to get the messages of lords over them as to what opinions you are and are not welcome to bring in with you even in passing. Good effect, very impressive use of hyperbole, excellent choice of fonts. And yet here we are, mother, in the postnatal reality that Hibbert's decided for you. And what has become of this choiceless child, this perfect example, this demanding little food eater that wretched natural hips? Unloved and over its head in the deep end, here where they carry their disasters to full term and sometimes years further before pouring salt on them like slugs. This one has little choice and little chance against so much machinery, from the greater schemes of the armies of Christendom to their tiny boards of LCD screens. The battery would have to run out or the connection falter, and by then, well, by then, oh, but isn't it already a few years too late? If she was still an embryo, she would have lots of backup in these parts. But unfortunately for her odds, she's already gone down the slide and into the deep end. Welcome to Texas. It's a punishment for an orgasm, not a choice. <laughs> the girl is thrashing in the water, gasping, trying to smile. She actually cries out, help, not just once, but a few times, but then nullifies it again with a laugh. A little drill, just to see. She knows she must preserve the real panic button, because it may only have one round left in it when the moment really comes. Help, but not really, but sort of really. The terrorists had already won. I got out and toweled off. The doomed little fat girl smiled and said bye as I left, losing her only friend in the place. Good luck, kid, really. No Hesalva Vidas. There is truly no lifeguard on duty. We are profoundly alone here. I don't know if she made it. I don't know if it matters enough either to this immediate or this greater place. It's a big state, and as any bumper sticker can tell you, it is not advisable to mess with it. She may as well go right on smiling and drowning, but not really, but sort of really.